You are listening to the VBAC Link podcast, episode number 78. And today we have Patrice from Arizona. And right now it's, well, I guess it's September, but it's really hot in Arizona in September still. We are just chatting a little bit about the weather. And let's just say we're kind of grateful for our 90 degrees in Utah right now. Patrice has such an exciting story um, with both her C-section and her VBAC burst. She ended up being induced, but how her induction was handled and managed the first time versus the second time is a completely different. And her second induction, which was much gentler induction, led to her successful VBAC. And so we are so excited to hear the story. And P.S., if you don't know what an aqua doula is, you're going to find you're out. You're going to find out <laughs> because we're going to talk about some aqua doulas. We're going to talk about how to induce VBAC for the best chance of success. But first, we are going to talk about the review of the week with Megan. Well, thank you. And I'm actually really <laughs> um, intrigued with this aqua doula stuff. I'm excited <laughs> to learn more about it. Okay, so we have an Apple podcast review today, and it's from SP0004. (laughs) So SP0004, thank you for leaving this review. It says, the VBAC link is such a fabulous resource for all pregnant women, especially those preparing for a VBAC. I am a birth doula, so I often end up talking to people about birth and refer them to the VBAC link whenever I can. Thanks, Julie and Megan, for the awesome resources and providing to the birth community. Well, thank you. That's awesome. And you're welcome. <laughs> um, you're if welcome. you If you haven't left a review yet, we love them. We know we say it a lot, but we really do. And we love reading them on the podcast. So head over to Apple Podcasts. Google, Facebook, wherever you visit the VBAC link and leave us a review. We would love to have it on the podcast and we also share them on our Instagram, um, on our stories. So you never know, might be there too. And if your Apple podcast name matches your Instagram name, we'll even tag we'll you tag in our you Instagram in stories. What? You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right. Before we get into Patrice's story, I wanted to say one more thing. Megan mentioned in the review that um, that was from a doula that refers us to her VBAC clients. And I wanted to just share a little fun story that happened today. We got an Instagram message from a mother that is preparing for VBAC. And she got an email from her midwife who shared us as a resource for her to look into during her VBAC prep. And she was like, she sent us a screenshot of the email, you know, with all the personal details blurted out and stuff, of course. But it was so sweet because she was like, of course, I already listened to the podcast and I love you guys so much. But I really thought you would want to know that there's providers out there that recommend you guys. And so if you are a provider, a midwife, an OBGYN, any type of birth worker, even doulas, nurses, oh my gosh, anesthesiologists, any kind of medical professional or care provider or doula 
doula or anybody that cares for pregnant people, we absolutely love you. And we love hearing that people that have such precious um, experiences in their hands are sharing us with their clients and the people that they love so much. So thank you for that. And we we really appreciate you. But I am going to turn it over to Patrice because I think everybody wants to know what an aqua doula is. But guess what, guys? You're going to have to wait till the end of the story because that's where it's at. (laughs) But there's a lot more to come before that. So Patrice, why don't you go ahead and start sharing your story with us? All right. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. Of course. Well, um, let's start at the beginning. So my first birth, I didn't do much research into finding a provider. Honestly, what was priority was just finding someone close to me, like in proximity and like for driving distance and that had like privileges at a certain hospital that my friends also birthed at because, you know, usually we go with what we're familiar with and hey, you birthed there, I guess I'll go there too, kind of mindset. Mm -hmm. So I found an OBGYN in Scottsdale that was a solo inner practice. Like it was literally just her and the receptionist. There were no nurses, no like techs, wow. nothing. Just her. I know. I thought that was odd, it's but that very was like, unique. all I was used to. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. She seems nice though, but very, very professional and to the point. She didn't show her personality too much. And I'm very much like not like that. I wear my heart on my shoulders. So regardless, I still went there. I didn't even know, though, that, like, interviewing to find the best provider was a thing, so I just stuck with her. That was the closest. (laughs) I had a normal pregnancy, no complications, nothing exciting to report from weeks 40 or 4 to 40. Since I was a teacher, I got to, like, keep my students, my freshman high school students informed of the pregnancy, like, before we knew the gender. We did a poll if it was a boy or girl, Mm. um, when we found out the actual gender, I brought in like a box of balloons and opened it for like six different periods and tried to act all excited <laughs> as like every period saw it because obviously it gets a little old opening the same box. It's like, oh, it's still a girl, it's still a girl, but still it was pink. for them, really. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> so yeah, keeping them involved was, was a lot of fun. It was cute. But anyways, at week 38 and a half, I think, I decided to stop working since I didn't know what to expect for birth. So I said goodbye to my students, and it was the end of the year, too. It was, like, around late April, and I was due May 3rd. So I wish I hadn't done that because I didn't know about the weeks of waiting Mm -hmm. (laughs) and how first birth, you know, usually you don't go too quickly. But I always tell new moms that I don't know what's like, I don't know what's worse, the two-week wait of finding out that you're actually pregnant or waiting to find out the gender or waiting for the actual baby to come. I think they're all really, you know, hard times. (laughs) But anyways, my doctor checked me for dilation starting around 37 weeks and I was at one centimeter. She never explained to me effacement or station and uh, never mentioned where I was in any of it. She just told me about like dilation. So... It wasn't until actually my second birth where I learned about that. And I honestly kind of blame myself partly because I didn't inform myself the whole pregnancy. I mean, I did read the Mayo Clinic's Guide to a Healthy Pregnancy and some baby-wise, but that was really it. Well, most women don't. They don't. They don't think that they have to. Yeah, you just kind of like expect that you're going to be told like, oh, this is what what to do or Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. You just go with the flow. Your body will know what to do and so on, so... I think that's really, like, being uninformed was what landed me in a C-section in the first place. But anyways, 
week 40 rolled around and I was still at one centimeter with some injections here and there. And I was silly and I didn't do really like anything to bring on labor, labor besides like walking. My doctor then said at that 40 week appointment that she scheduled a C-section for eight P or not C-section. Excuse me, I was an like, induction. wait, what? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> induction. Okay. Okay. At 8 PM. <laughs> Which I thought was weird. Have you guys heard of an eight, like that late of an induction, 8 p.m.? I feel like it's yeah. always in the morning. Yeah. Yep. So uh. sometimes they do, and then they start with Cytotech, and then that so takes 12 right hours. And, and, yeah. yeah. So that can happen. Well, but yeah. the thing that it, I don't like about it is you're going at 8 p.m., you've been up all day, and then mm-hmm. you go, and then you don't sleep. And so by the time you're in labor, which is usually 24 hours later, you're, you're exhausted. exhausted. Yeah, yeah, it sounds familiar. <laughs> yep. So it was it was eight PM and of course it was like right before Mother's Day too. And so for some reason I feel like it's always busier around holidays in hospitals and birth birth times. So it was really busy. It was a terrible experience because they put me in triage from nine PM to six AM the next day. Oh it was this little small room with a small gurney like bed and they began with Pitocin. Right away. They didn't do any side attack or anything like that. They mm. just started with Pitocin at the lowest amount. The nurse explained that they would up the Pitocin, I think, every two units. I don't know the exact measurement, but it was two units every hour, I want to say. Uh, maybe it was quicker. But the whole nine hours, I was stuck in triage. I didn't feel any pain from the contractions, but mostly excitement since, you know, who could sleep when the first baby's on their way? I was group B strep positive, so they started the antibiotics right away and were faithful at giving them every four hours. I didn't know with the IV that it would hurt going in as much with the antibiotics, like, and how they would sting a little bit when they're administering it. Mm-hmm. Um, and since I already had the Pitocin going, I had so many things up that to me that it was even hard to move around with being tethered to everything. I finally got into my own labor and delivery room by about 6 a.m. on May 10th, which was actually my birthday, but I didn't get any birthday cake or food or anything, just ice chips. (laughs) I know. (laughs) No. Anyway, my doctor came in and broke my water. And I honestly, I don't remember if she asked or if she told me, but I just remember it happening and it being painful. (laughs) And that's when about maybe an hour or two later, I knew I wanted an epidural and right away when it started to get uncomfortable, probably around 11 a.m., I requested one. And in retrospect, I wish I would have waited because I wasn't really in that much pain. I mean, sure, it was uncomfortable, but maybe I was at three centimeters. I'm not mm. sure. But it was definitely earlier, early on. Um, from then, I got to rest for about four hours and got to sleep since I didn't sleep the night before. And maybe around 5 p.m., they checked me and I was at seven centimeters. So that was good to hear. Yeah. Um, but they kept turning me from side to side and we're using a peanut ball. And this is where it gets good. <laughs> Two hours later, I began to feel more and more pressure, but more in my butt, even with the epidural. And I hadn't felt that before. And it started to get more painful. They checked me again and I was still at seven centimeters. And I remember getting shaky and vomiting and they had to throw on the oxygen mask a little bit of time for me, but they didn't explain anything to me, at least mm-hmm. not to my memory. I thought it was strange that I felt the need to breathe through my contractions and feeling that pressure down low, but my uneducated slash uninformed self was probably, I'm guessing, nearing transition and didn't know what to expect for that. Mm -hmm. 
another two-ish hours later, my my nurse came in and checked and said I was still at seven centimeters. She was still having me use the peanut ball, moving me around, and but nothing was happening. So we just waited and waited, and the contraction started going slower and slower. By 10 p.m., my doctor had called in. She wasn't there. She called in and was talking to the nurse on the phone of what to do. She told me that I was, quote, stuck at seven centimeters. Mm. I was at the highest amount of Pitocin they can give me, which at that amount was probably for six hours, like stuck at that 30 units for good six 30. hours. It, mm-hmm. Your pit was on 30? That yeah, is it was the highest. High. Yeah. Whoa, you needed a cap out at like twenty or twenty-two. Yeah. Whoa, wow. so much. <laughs> I wonder if your body really just became accustomed to just like so pit. overworked, and then your uterus got tired. So that kind of leads into what my options were. She told me that right. I had two options: they could cut the pitocin in half, and sometimes that would trigger the contractions again. She said, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or I could just go in for an elective C-section. Oh. And that's and a big decision. Oh man. So it was quite the decision, but I mean it was ten PM. It was already over twenty four hours since or yeah, tired. over twenty four hours since we started. Yeah. yeah, I was tired, but I wanted to give my body a chance, so mm-hmm. I chose to cut the bedosin in half and that's what they did. I think I lasted maybe thirty minutes before I was really getting into my head. I kept having all these doubts of, well, what if this doesn't do anything, and I'm just wasting my time and energy. And I grew incredibly discouraged and doubted that my body could even move past seven centimeters. Yeah, yeah. I talked to my husband about it, and he was supportive with whatever I wanted to do next. But I knew he was tired, and my mom, who was also there the whole time, was exhausted as well. So I kind of felt like there was an audience that. Like, I know, obviously, the birth is about me, but, you know, they were there, too. (laughs) So I called my nurse back in and asked for the C-section and decided that I'm too tired. Let's just do this. And if I'm stuck here, what if it doesn't work with cutting this pedosin in half? So I went in for the C-section. I don't remember feeling any more contractions around that time or pain like I did earlier. I was just so tired and want to be done and meet my baby girl. So we did, and we went into surgery, which was a sensory overload for me. Um, I didn't know that it was such an immersive experience from what you hear and smell mm-hmm. and feel with the tugging. It was it was hard to handle. But in the same vein, I was utterly exhausted by the time they pulled her out on the next day, May 11th. So we don't we didn't share her birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, they were cleaning her up and doing her vitals, and I remember looking over at her and then looking up at the anesthesiologist and saying like. Yay, I'm not pregnant anymore. <laughs> that was like the first thing, which is funny to hear, but also very sad. I was so drugged up and so exhausted that those were my first comments when she came out. But that was that was her story. Uh, later on at my six-week appointment, I talked to my OB and asked about the whole thing. And she said that the C-section happened because ultimately I failed to progress past the seven centimeters. And I really honestly still wonder what would have happened if I just would have rested once they cut the Pitocin in half. And I know, though, it's not wise to say what if, what if, what if, right. what be, be in that land. I mean, it doesn't change anything. You did the anything. best you could for what you knew and what was offered to you. Yeah, that's, you really did. Right. <laughs> yeah. You have to forgive yourself for, like, not knowing 
what you didn't know. Cause like I went through a lot of that, like not just with my C-section, but with other parts of my life too. Like you really have to forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know at the time. Yeah. And it sounds kind of silly, through. but yeah, it, mm-hmm. you really do. And you know, be gentle on yourself for, for everyone listening. Cause I know there's probably a lot of people right now, a lot of women out there, women of strength, processing through a lot of stuff. Just be gentle mm-hmm. on yourself and be kind and forgive yourself for not knowing what you didn't know. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Although in the same vein, I knew, I took a childbirth class and I knew the statistic that when it stood out to me that the one in basically one in three, every three births will end up in a C-section. So it was a little naive of me to not be prepared or think that it but couldn't happen to me. nobody thinks that it, it's going to no. happen to them. Not even me or Megan no. or any, no. anybody. Like it wasn't until my doctor said the word, we're going to cesarean, that my mind was like, Oh my gosh, are we really going to have to do that? And I thought I was super educated and it turns out I was not. (laughs) And I took a, (laughs) I took a hypnobirthing class. I was ready. Well, and, (laughs) and even like the most educated, sometimes the cesarean still happens. Yeah. So even though you don't expect it. Because when you're in labor, it's entirely different. Your mindset's different. The environment's different. Your providers and staff and how things are presented to you are different. Like, it's just there's so many circumstances that impact how you make decisions when you're in labor and um, why you do the things that you do. So, so I agree. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that was my first birth. I didn't, uh, do you want me to keep, well, yeah, I'll keep going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get, Sorry, I didn't mean too. to like, get off on a little soapbox there. I just, uh-huh. you know, no, no, I do that they, sometimes. Hear that. That's <laughs> <Yes. good. laughs> but anyways, I didn't get pregnant again until my daughter turned about 14 months old. So pretty quickly, I think. But I knew I, I was ready. <laughs> I knew I wanted this pregnancy and birth experience to be better. <laughs> so I did so many things differently. I started at a lower birth weight than my first pregnancy. I continued to work out during the weekdays. I walked every day with my daughter in the stroller. I ate fairly well. I was educated. I listened to the birth hour podcast right away. And it wasn't until about six months along that I found you guys. And I obsessively listened to every single episode. (laughs) Yes, we love to hear that. Thank you. I read more and more books this time. I even most, I think one of the biggest things that helped was I joined the ICANN, the International Cesarean Awareness Network, Group of Phoenix, which is an awesome group. Highly recommend any ICANN group. Something I want to point out too is that I stayed with the same provider of my firstborn. I stayed with her despite that little voice saying, maybe look for someone else. <laughs> but I ignore the voice because I foolishly didn't want to be bothered with finding an OB new OBGYN. It's hard. Finding a new provider is hard. It is. (laughs) But I told her at the first appointment that I wanted to try for a VBAC and of course she agreed and she was so nice and was like, yeah, biggest cheerleader, you'll be a great candidate. Fantastic. Exactly what I wanted to hear. (laughs) With every passing month, I would ask more and more questions as I grew more educated about the birthing world and she would answer them. But around 30 weeks, my 30 week appointment, things started to change. I remember That's when they do. About, That's yeah, when they do yeah. all the time. Oh my gosh. Yep. We talk about that in our VBAC class. We actually have a little worksheet, a third trimester provider interview worksheet for people that take our class to take with them and ask all the questions to figure out if your doctor is going to do a bait and switch on you. Because that's uh, always, yeah. always around that time. <laughs> sad. So sad. It is sad. But I remember asking her, 
it was a 30 week appointment about a hep lock and saline lock and telling her like, Oh, my hair thought it's going to be so helpful with movement and how movement's key. And I don't want to be sedentary. Like I was my first yada, yada. And I remember her telling me that wasn't an option at our hospital. And I remember expressing how upsetting that was since I was, I knew the freedom to move was so important. And she honestly just shrugged it off mm. <laughs> at the 32 week appointment. She asked me if I wanted a C-section. I was shocked because mm-hmm. I thought I was so clear that I wanted to be back. She assured me that we could try. Uh, we could still try, but like she just wanted to make sure that I was sure. Like, yes. She said that she could schedule an induction at 38 weeks if we wanted to. And I told her, no, <laughs> She'll probably showing my surprise on my face. She said how convenient it was for moms to do that and how probably, like, I'm going to be so tired of from being pregnant anyways and just basically what a luxury it was to have that option. And I told her no. <laughs> and then I wanted to wait as long as possible for if I needed an induction, which she said she would allow me to go until 41 weeks. I left that appointment crying and was so upset that she even suggested it. It made me feel like she didn't believe in me or my body whatsoever. Um, after that meeting or that appointment, I went to my ICANN meeting, I think a few days later, and I shared that experience and the ladies gently suggested to get a new provider and even gave me names of providers near me, near me. I remember leaving the meeting so informed and like ready to take charge, but also in the same vein was scared and wanted to give my doctor at least one more chance, I told myself. And I think it was just because I was afraid of finding a new provider so late in the game and for like hurting her feelings, which looking back now is just mm-hmm. silly. No, it's a very common <laughs> yeah. thing. That's one of the reasons why I didn't change. I was like, oh, I owe him this. Yeah. And I don't know why. Like, I didn't want to hurt his feelings. Yeah. 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 It's a hard thing. No. So It is. It was really hard. At my 34-week appointment, I don't remember what I asked, but I remember her laughing at the suggestion or idea or whatever laughing? I said. She laughed at me. <laughs> I felt embarrassed and angry oh and insulted gosh. and just most of all discouraged. Like, yeah. it, it, she was slowly changing from week from the what, eight or ten week appointment I originally had to late in the game. Yeah. Um, but I kept thinking about calling the new OBGYN office that the ICANN lady suggested and just dumping my doctor. But I honestly just kept chickening out in the end. Moving forward. To my 36-week appointment, it came and I asked my doctor more questions. This time, I think I asked if the nitrous oxide was an option and getting that for pain well, pain distraction, I guess. And she told me how dangerous, quote-unquote, that can be. Um, I'm using air quotes. My dentist wouldn't <laughs> even give it to me when I was getting a root canal when I was pregnant. I was so mad. I was even pulling up studies on my phone showing him. And he's like, I'm sorry, we can't go there. And I'm like, I want informed consent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, <Good>. go on. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, so I, I continued with my questions. And the last thing she told me at the end of my appointment was, you need to stop reading so many birth blogs, or in my case, birth podcast stories. (laughs) She said it almost jokingly, but she wasn't smiling. And I knew what she meant. And she, it looked like she was serious with what she meant. And at that moment, I was done. I left feeling so angry and now determined Mm. to find a doctor. I made up my mind that I was done with her. And that day I called up the office of the place my ICANN group suggested. And luckily they said they had this like little interview session that they do every month, like the first Wednesday or something. And it just so happened to be a few days later. 
And I met with them. What I liked about this new place was that there were five midwives and two OBGYNs on staff. And I wasn't used to that. Like I said, I only had that one doctor and the one receptionist that did everything. When I started going to this new practice after the interview, which I got to ask all the questions and I was really like learning in that little interview that they proved that they were VBAC supportive and not VBAC tolerant like my old doctor. And Mm -hmm. I got to ask induction questions and how they would do that since I was already familiar with that process. It was overall really good. I had such a good feeling after leaving that little interview. So I started at this new practice at 37 weeks, which was hard, but I did it. Good for <laughs> and... you. I'm so proud of you. I, I'm so proud of you. It takes a lot of strength and courage to do that because it's really hard. It is a really hard thing to do. It was. It was. But I mean, like it, it wasn't me alone. Like I really felt the support from the ICANN ladies. So mm, can't so, emphasize that enough. Yes, ICANN is amazing. <laughs> they are. They're so helpful. But uh, what was I? Uh, yeah, I started going at 37 weeks. And let's see, I, it was normal, nothing like I didn't learn anything new besides that I was GBS positive. I started eating dates every day at 36 weeks, which now I hate dates. They're so disgusting. (laughs) I can't (laughs) eat another one. (laughs) You know, the continuous every day, it just gets old. I drank red raspberry leaf tea. I bounced on the ball. I got an induction massage. I ate pineapples and their cores. Basically, all the induction techniques minus acupuncture because I was too cheap to go for it. <laughs> I was encouraged to hear, though, that at my 40-week appointment, I was 2 centimeters and 70% effaced. Um, awesome. So thank you, Dates. The midwife checking me also expressed that they didn't want me to go too far past 41 weeks because of the C-section. They told me that the likelihood of having a VBAC goes down the further you get from your due date, which is not what you want to hear because mm-hmm. <laughs> it stresses you out. Or I felt so much pressure, like my body better go into labor soon. Otherwise, I might get this induction. And that was just not what I, it didn't help. I know it didn't help at all. But at 40 weeks and six days, I had another ultrasound because previously when they measured my belly, it was seemingly small smaller than it should have been what they wanted to see but it just turns out that because he was so low that's the reason I guess my bump looked small because they he looked fine when they did the ultrasound they noticed that my amniotic fluid was low like five on their scale which I was told that it wasn't great for a baby they said it was probably low because it was getting quote old and showing signs of calcification about an hour later I met with the OB and she told me to go to the hospital later and that I was going to be induced because of the low fluid. And I remember feeling like suddenly worried, but uh, she assured me that it wasn't urgent. Like I was still being induced. Like, like I didn't have to go right away. I could get my, you know, my daughter to my in-laws and still, I didn't have to rush to the hospital is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was good. By the time I got everything in order, my husband and I got to the hospital by 7 p.m. on March 18th. My midwife was there and explained how they were going to start with the Foley balloon, bulb, catheter, whatever you want to call it, which if people don't know, it manually dilates your cervix, essentially, which I'd never had before. So it was unfamiliar to me, but I was willing to try something different. It was pretty uncomfortable with them putting it in, but you do get used to the feeling, or at least in my experience. Honestly, what was more annoying was the tape of the tube thing or whatever that was Tape to yes, my legs. it like tugs it down. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Put some weight on it. Yes. 
but it did start some authentic contractions. Went out, caught off guard by how strong they were off the bat, but sadly they fizzled out. And by about 11 p.m., my mom and husband were there, and they were too tired and decided to take a nap, which I was okay with since I didn't need them yet. In the meantime, I was so excited and helpful to rest. I decided to walk around the halls and listen to some more podcasts. It was great. But <laughs> my... Uh, Exhaustion was coming, and around 2 a.m. the next day on the 19th, I was getting very sleepy and wasn't feeling many contractions at that point. And they tell you to tug on the fully bulb, balloon, uh, whatever that's called, the bulb, yeah. mm-hmm. the cord every 30 minutes, I think it is. Is that right? What? I've never that's heard what, anyone say that. Yeah, I have a client that had that every 30 minutes just kind of tug and see if it was like any, like loose yeah. or coming out yeah, exactly. or anything like that. Yeah. Which really bothered me because I, I no, you're my nurse. You do it. Like, <laughs> but I, I would like gently, ever so gently, try to like tug a little bit, give a weak attempt, and then I'd give up. My nurse came in probably an hour later at three a.m. and it was ready to come out because she pulled it right out, and nice. um, that also didn't feel great. <laughs> oh no, no, no! But but like the good news is that it put me to a six centimeter, so I was jazzed. Because that is awesome. that's awesome because that's actually mm. not super common. It's not common no. for fully induction. Like it's usually like oh, four. Usually gets four. like three to four. Mm-hmm. So getting to a six is a big deal. I don't think I mentioned I was at a two centimeters. Did I say that? I don't think I did. My You're bad. at two. Um, yeah. 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 I was at a two, and oh, yeah, I did. I'm seventy percent of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that um, basement so, yeah. is probably what helped you get because the more face you are, the the faster, e- the faster that fully bulb is going to work for you. Yep. And the faster Ooh. you just dilate generally. Well, that so I was thankful for the balloon, bulb, whatever. But the problem with the Foley bulb is that it, yes, it does dilate you, but it's almost false in that your body then mm. needs to bulb up the intensity and the strength of size six centimeter contraction. So you can stay there and hang out at like six or even go back to a five for a little bit while your body tries to catch up with all of it. Oof, yeah. That's sometimes, sometimes it goes, sometimes it just keeps going on, but it's, it's not uncommon to just kind of wait and hang out there for a little bit mm. well it was i was there for a while okay <laughs> um <laughs> thankfully i got a nap from about 3 a.m to 6 30 and it was wonderful okay. and they even offered me breakfast afterwards and wow. i was so excited you got to oh, eat when you were I six did. centimeters that's awesome yeah <laughs> i know it was a good hospital i'm really yeah. glad that Aww. my doctors worked with it and was this in um, phoenix or scottsdale this was actually in Surprise. Oh, Surprise. I know where that is. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> surprise. Yeah. Surprise. So uh, where was I? Yeah, I got to eat. And my contractions by then, like by early morning or later morning, were slow, not painful. So after eating, I walked. I bounced. I waited for them to grow. They didn't. <laughs> so around noon, they broke my water, which feels awful. And after that, they started the Pitocin. And they said they were going to slowly build it up. And I think by the end, I was only at like a 15 or a 16 units instead of 30, like my first induction. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until 4 p.m. that my contractions really started to get painful where I felt like the need to breathe through them. I took an online birthing class called Birth It Up from an instructor who's a mom and a labor and delivery nurse. And she suggested being like a limp raggedy and doll and to keep all your muscles loose. And I did my best. But it was so painful. Um, this hospital I was in was different from my previous birth, and they offered nitrous oxide. And at that point, around four, 
I asked for it, but it, I didn't honestly find it too helpful, but more distracting. It made me feel fuzzy and kind of high, I guess. But I, I don't know. I was just willing to do something besides like jump for the epidural like I did in my previous birth. What was awesome, getting to the aqua doula, um, about yeah. this hospital was that they had these big laboring type pools called aqua doulas. And they are essentially a continuously heated little round pool. I can't, I, no one could, can give birth in it, but we knew that the water is known for being like nature's epidural, mm-hmm. as they say. So it was nice to have that option. So continuously heated. It was ready since like, I don't know, that morning. Uh, yeah. So I, <laughs> unfortunately, I think I waited too long because I did not want to move. I, was in so much pain that I didn't want to leave the throne position I was in. The thought of moving to that pool was absurd. And like, actually I had to use the restroom and I had to pee. So when I forced myself to get up to go pee, it was agonizing. And like, I just remember looking in the pool and thinking like, there's no way I'm getting in that right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I do love for you. (laughs) Sadly, I never used it, but it was an option. So I think that'd be nice. Probably great if you're having a home birth (laughs) since Mm. it's continuously heated. Yep. That would be a nice option. Right. It's a good size, too. Google it. Um, I'm going to. By 5 p.m. <laughs> by 5 p.m., an hour later, I was in immense pain. And I think I did a good job hiding it because my mom and my husband both didn't think I was in much pain since my held kind of my moans in and was silent most of the time. I then begged my nurse to check me since it's, I thought it had been a while. She then took her time. I think she did it on purpose trying to me to get to like go a little further but when she did she told me I was at seven centimeters (laughs) so it took so long just to go one centimeter but it was such an important centimeter to me since it's where I felt to progress from my first Mm. birth because of the intensity and the horrible pain of transition I kept telling my husband I don't want to do this I told my nurse that and then I wanted my epidural now (laughs) My husband also, like, side note, thought when I said, I don't want to do this, that just meant I want a C-section and be done with the pain, which is not what I meant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just wanted, I just meant that I wanted to feel, I didn't want to feel the pain anymore. It's hard and to clarify when you're in labor. After the birth. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wise man. <laughs> um, anyways, it took a long, long hour for the anesthesiologist to come in and for me to get that another bag of fluids in me but I'm not sure how far along I was after that hour but it was such intense pain I didn't expect so much pain in my back especially but the epidural was magic and it helped me relax Uh, it was different from my first because I still did feel the contractions it was still slightly painful but they were definitely uncomfortable but not like the extent of obviously feeling them without an epidural 30 minutes later, only 30 minutes later, my midwife came in and checked me and said I was at nine and a half centimeters and I almost cried. Yay! It was great. I was almost there. Uh, She reported that my cervix was still high, so they uh, gave me another 45 minutes before it was time to push. And that Mm -hmm. 45 minutes passed so quickly. I pushed for about 30 minutes and I had no idea what to expect for that portion. That's another area I think I could have been more informed about because I feel like you focus so much or I focus so much on the contractions that's like oh yeah you gotta still like do that pushing thing so I relied heavily on the direction of my nurses and midwives and was astounded with how exhausting pushing was Mm. um I wasn't prepared for all the energy I put into it but I was determined and a very encouraging nurses that cheered me on 
by 8.09. He was born and on my test. Mm. I had had that with my first, with the C-section, and I didn't know what to do besides just talk to him so he'd be familiar and with my voice and the new environment. They told me I had a second-degree tear, and shortly after giving birth, I vomited. I, was, I don't remember much, but I was told I vomited. I think I don't remember much because I was so excited and I couldn't believe I did it. Like, I think I just kept repeating, I did it. I did it. Like, that's, that's what amazing. I did. <laughs> my first right? one. Like, for like 20 <laughs> minutes. Like, just looking at everyone. <laughs> where's my, where's my medal? Where's my stand? No, right? <laughs> so, other than that, the recovery was good and we only stayed for 24 hours after this one. We were ready to be home. It was an amazing experience. That, that is so incredible. <laughs> so tell me, how long was it from the time when um, they put the Foley bulb in until the baby was born? Uh, t- almost exactly 24 hours. All right. So it did take some time. Like, yeah. it, it didn't, like like I said, it didn't, it started out contractions quickly, which was a little surprising, and they came on really well. But they fizzled out, and they fizzled out for, like, 13, 14 hours, like a long time. So then after that, they're like, okay, well, you're not getting the contractions that we want. We're going to start the Pitocin. And yeah. once they started the Pitocin, I think it was only about eight hours on that compared awesome. to the, the, the 26, 27. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so quite a well, difference. you know, there's a lot of benefits, of, especially with VBAC, of doing a nice, slow, gentle induction um, one of the benefits is it actually reduces your risk of uterine rupture. Any induction raises your risk of uterine rupture just a little bit, but the the lower and slower you can go, the better because it's going to warm your cervix up. It's not going to like shoot out of the gate, contracting at like 20 miles an hour or 20 miles an hour. That's not even very fast. 500 miles an hour, you know, and just cranking down because an overworked uterus is prime scenario for a rupture. So if you start in nice and slow and gently, start dilating the cervix and and dilating the cervix, the Foley will actually like triggers the release of hormones that can actually start labor. It's like one of the first hormones to get going and make labor happen. And sometimes, like we said a little bit ago, um, sometimes your body just like picks right up and starts dilating on its own after the Foley bulb it, um, comes out and it starts contractions and the baby comes. And sometimes there's a little bit of a waiting period when the Foley bulb comes out. It's, um, you know, not too uncommon for a regression in dilation to like go back a centimeter. So if you come out at a five, you go back to a four and that can be a little discouraging to hear. So just being prepared for that, I think is really important. And just know that like, it's just the first step. And a four is a lot of dilation and a five is a lot of dilation and getting to a six is like the hardest part. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we actually have a blog about the best induction method for VBAC. And we put together all the induction options and we talk and we go through each of them but then we get to a nice gentle induction for VBAC. I'm going to go over it super fast. If you want to know more head on over to the vbaclink.com slash blog. It's going to be right there near the top the best induction method for VBAC and so this is what I want you to do. If you have to be induced ask for a Foley bulb but ask for an outpatient Foley bulb. Our friends at Green Bay Doulas up there in Wisconsin say that in that area it's it's kind of a common thing where they'll put the Foley bulb in and send them 
the mom home and tell her to come back when it falls out. And how cool would that be if like that's standard everywhere? So I've had my clients ask for that here in Utah and it's a it's kind of a solid no right now. But the I've more had a couple clients have that happen. Really? When they go home? Mm-hmm. With the volleyball bin? Mm-hmm. In hospital? Yeah. Wow. So, okay, yeah. so ask, ask for it. And do you know what? The more people that ask for it, guess what? The more likely it's going to become a, a natural thing. Mm-hmm. So get the fully well bin. If you can go home and sleep in your own space and relax in your own environment. And then when the fully bulb goes out, head on back into the hospital to keep moving things along. Um, and if you really you- don't, to interject for a second, you really don't feel it that much either. Like once it's in, you don't. It's, yeah, I mean, uh, when it's a little uncomfortable. Them in, yes, you feel it. Yeah, them right. taking them out. Yes, you feel it. But it wasn't yeah. uncomfortable for me at all. The one thing that was kind of hard is they like it was a little bit overfilled, like with saline, and so mm-hmm. like I just felt like yeah, the pressure. the pressure. But like it wasn't uncomfortable. It didn't yeah. bug me. Yeah. So. Good. So do that, and then if you can't, obviously go home. You know, hang out in the hospital, but wait until it comes out, and then when the fly bulb falls out hopefully labor is picking up on its own but if you do need some extra some a little extra nudge ask your provider to start pitocin on a low dose and up it slowly did you know that standard procedure actually for pitocin is starting it out at two milliunits per hour and I hope I'm saying that right milliunit per hour some kind of unit per hour and then increasing it by two every 30 minutes, but it takes your body 45 minutes to catch up with the amount to get the full impact of the dose that was administered. So really the way you're contracting in the moment is based on the strength of Pitocin you were giving two rounds ago. And so it can actually prematurely um, increase your uterine intensity, you know, too much. So ask for it to be increased by one every 45 minutes to an hour and do it nice and slow or even even longer than that and get your body get your body slowly in that labor rhythm and so it can pick up things on its own because the less pitocin you have the less likely you are um, again for uterine rupture but also the less likely your uterus is going to just tucker out on you and become overworked and tired it's it's sometimes hard to go through that long of a labor but man I think where we get hung up the most with induction is people expecting too much so quickly. And I've seen a lot of success, especially with VBAC and nice and gentle induction. So again, head over to our blog, thevbaclink.com slash blog. Look for the blog called The Best Induction for VBAC. And then head over to our Instagram post today. We're going to have a beautiful picture of Patrice with her VBAC baby. And I want you to comment... Um, in the comment section, like, were you induced? How did you get induced? How did you feel like it went? Did you have a long induction? We're going to start a discussion thread over on our Instagram and on our Facebook pages. So head over there, find Patrice's episode and join in on the discussion because um, we're going to we're going to learn a lot over there today. Thank you so much, Patrice, for sharing your story with us. I'm so excited you got your view back. I'm so excited you were surprised in surprise. (laughs) What's the name of that hospital? Do you want to like shout it out? Because I feel like the more we can recommend. Of course. Yeah. So if you're in like the Phoenix area, which Mm -hmm. by the way, I drove like 30 minutes for my appointment. Phoenix is huge. It was, Mm -hmm. yeah. It's um, Banner Del E. Webb Hospital. 
So Banner, Deli Web, it was fantastic. They are, they changed a lot of things recently within the past few years to make it more birthing friendly and have birthing suites and, and um, aquadulas. A lot of options. Yes, aquadulas. If you didn't know, now you know. I know. <laughs> I want aquadulas here. I'm going to go buy one for my house. I know. Like, that just sounds it's great for an afternoon soak. Yeah. <laughs> seriously so awesome. Oh, man. Patrice, thank you so much again for sharing yes. your story with us. It was so nice to get to hear you share that with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.